Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane, I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. This is the second in a new series of the Minimalist Moms podcast. Going deeper episodes will be less structured with a more conversational tone. This week, I spoke with Leah McDermott of Your Natural Learner all about unschooling, also known as natural learning. Leah shares about her experience unschooling her children, education, encouragement to others, and so much more. If you're a homeschooling family or are curious about unschooling and natural learning, this episode is for you. And I wanna put a quick disclaimer here before this episode airs. I am married to a public school teacher. My background is in English pre-education grades four through 12. So I am in no way releasing this to paint a negative portrait of public schooling. I absolutely see the benefit of it, but I also see a strong benefit in homeschooling. Hence is why we chose to do it this year and we'll be continuing on for our second year. Some of my closest friends and family members are also public school teachers, and I so appreciate the work that they do, the dedication, the sacrifice. So again, I just wanted to put that disclaimer up here at the beginning before I get not-so-kind mail about poo-pooing the public school system. As they say, there are two sides to every coin, but I hope this episode is enjoyable to you regardless of where you stand in regards to schooling. So let's get into it. This is my conversation with Leah McDermott. Hi, Leah. Hello. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk to you about unschooling because I just finished my first year of homeschooling. And I would honestly say I went, I like a more traditional method. I, my degree is in teaching high school English. And so that appeals to me, the structure of school. But what I realized at the end of this was that I'm not trying to replicate school. That's why I chose to homeschool. And then I looked at the end of our school year and I'm like, well, we didn't actually fully complete our curriculum, but my daughter reads the majority of every day. So I actually think, sorry, that was very long winded, but I actually think we did more of an unschooling type school year. So Mm -hmm. do you relate to that? Totally. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the work, and we'll probably get into this in the conversation. A lot of the work that I do with parents in the unschooling world is de-schooling, which is like a phase that you kind of have to go through of unlearning. You know, we, we, you might've heard that word before de-schooling and, and usually in conversation, we talk about that in terms of the kids. Like once they come out of a public school system, they need a period of adjustment time where they're kind of, you know, relearning what it's like to be home, to trust themselves, to, you know, acclimate to a different environment every day. But really, de-schooling is way more for the adults. And, you know, we have, we have a lifetime of that understanding of what society tells us success looks like, learning looks like, productivity looks like, um, you know, how we should be spending our days. And for you having a teaching degree and spent time in academia, you know, beyond high school, that's even more unlearning then, right? You've got that compounded as to what a school day should look like, um, how learning should be structured, how children learn things. Um, So there's a lot of undoing there that needs to happen for parents. 
And then, you know, you mentioned that you kind of just naturally fell into this unschooling vibe and energy anyway. And really, that's just kind of a lot of parents find that, but they don't see it as a positive thing mm-hmm. where you know, they, they might start the school year off with all the plans and the, the posters on the wall and the curriculum all nicely laid out and every kid has their own binder and it all looks just like school and the best of intentions are there to follow the curriculum and follow the plan. And it just starts to feel overwhelming and exhausting and too much and there's fighting and the kids don't like it and they can't get it done. And so we naturally fall into family rhythms, just doing what works for us, letting it fall to the wayside. Um, and if they, if everybody did what you did and reevaluated and looked at that at the end of the year and thought, oh, well, maybe we didn't finish these books or the plans that I laid out, but they read every day. They know how to do, you know, they know how to cook something in the kitchen. They know how to do their own laundry. They can talk to people when we're out in public, they're living their lives and enjoying their time. Maybe this wasn't so bad. Maybe this was still successful. Just it looked different. And a lot of parents would beat themselves up about that at the end saying, oh, wow, I didn't finish my curriculum. I must not be good at this homeschooling thing. I must be failing my kids. Um, So yeah, it's very long-winded and a lot there, but there's, yeah, I definitely relate. And it's a pretty common thing. Yeah. I think goodness, what should I say? Cause you said a lot of things. <laughs> Number one, I'm sure that I've said this before, but my husband's a public school teacher. So yeah. this was the biggest fight of our marriage. My decision ended up, I mean, it's our decision, but my desire to homeschool caused a lot of conflict and I don't even really know how it ended up working out. And we got on the same page. It was honestly the Friday before she started, she was supposed to start first grade on Monday that we got on the same page. Um, And okay, so that was one thing. But then I think my fear, and maybe you felt this as well, is that I am so grateful that my daughter loves to read and she does have a vast vocabulary, which again, my husband and I, we're both English teachers. So we try to instill that in our children, just talking to them. Like, I don't want to say like they're adults, but we do talk to them. Like we would talk to you, but there is this fear of, am I taking something away from you that is going to put you behind where others are in the future? But then when I really think through that, I'm like, who cares where anyone else is? What is the metric that we're judging people by? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's two things to think of there. Like, first of all, if you want to look at the science of it, what, and you know, she's younger. So this is when all those fears kind of come up for you, of, you yeah. know, looking towards the future. When we look at it, when we look at the data, it does not matter where they are at those ages. Like we might be labeling her as way ahead, right? Or we might label another kid as way behind because they're not reading or they don't have the biggest vocabulary yet at that same age. But by fourth and fifth grade, you can't tell in a classroom who were the early readers, who were the late readers. It levels out when kids have the chance to blossom at their own rate, eventually they level out. And then looking beyond that in adulthood, you and I are sitting here having this conversation and it doesn't matter. You know, I don't know how old you were when you learned to read, like that doesn't change anything. You don't care what grade I got in high school algebra, you know, even our college degrees don't matter. We're here together having this conversation and that's true everywhere. And, you know, if you keep looking to the future, the biggest employers today, Google and Facebook and, you know, all these tech companies, 
they don't hire based on high school GPA. They'll tell you, we don't care what your scores or grades were or your college degree. We want to know that you have good communication skills, that you can problem solve, that you're willing to work as a team, that you have good creative ideas. And those are things that don't come from book work and sitting still and listening and following everybody else. Those skills come from being able to be creative and have good ideas. All of the people that we look up to today collectively as a society, the wealthiest or the ones with the most ideas, traditionally they did terribly in school because they couldn't be pushed down. They didn't want their ideas to be squashed. So it's really just about, yes, there's a fear, but then asking yourself, okay, is this actually a fear that I'm seeing something real happening? Am I noticing something in my child that is lacking or missing or, or, you know, not there? Or is this a fear that I have that's rooted somewhere back in what I have made to, you know, someone made me believe is true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I can look to those examples of someone like Steve Jobs or even Bill Gates and absolutely they did not, their creativity couldn't be squashed and they had these big I don't want to say big personalities because I don't know them, <laughs> but I'm assuming that they did feel like they couldn't be their true creative selves or wh- whoever that they were trying to be at that time. So mm-hmm. that said, you can look to these examples, but I mean, I know many people in my own personal life that have graduated uh, my friend. She graduated high school, started working full time. She didn't want to go to college right away, got a ton of experience. Then I think she went to community college, maybe in her early twenties, worked for riot games out in LA and is now a millionaire and not to say million millionaire status is the end goal, but yeah, that's not the typical story of someone that went to higher education. I guess we're talking about higher education now, but I just think that there is something to be said about getting outside of the norm. And then why did that norm even exist? Well, the, the, the public school system, as we know it in America today is really only 60 or 70 years old. When people talk about like, there's a lot of naysayers out there about homeschooling that'll say things like you're experimenting on your kids, but the public school is the experiment. (laughs) Like traditionally, if you look back through history, children learned from their parents and then what they were interested in or what they showed talent in, they learned from a mentor or trades, or they'd go, they'd just go straight to work and learn it from somebody else. The traditional public school system that we now know is really not that old, or it's just a couple generations back that we've implemented this. And it was really aligned with, industrial work the you know everybody learns the same thing everybody goes and does the same job factory workers that's what that track was and nothing has changed and so you know you and I can think of examples of people who maybe didn't do so well in school or didn't really enjoy it but went on to have great things but we can also look at the flip side of that of the people who just kind of skated right through went through the system and now they're 40 and they hate their jobs and they hate their lives and they live for the weekend and you know they work till retirement and then they die and that's you know a, a horrible existence and a terrible sad one but that's that's the majority that's the reality and so if a little bit of, you know, flipping things upside down and doing things a little bit differently in our child, you know, in our children's lives now saves them from that, even if they don't go on to be millionaires and have, you know, the best um, examples of what we can think of. I'd certainly rather they believe that they are creative and enjoy what they do for their lives instead of just 
feeling like they constantly have to follow what everyone else is doing and, you know, live in that grind mode. My motivation to homeschool was mostly because I wanted my daughter to be in nature as much as possible. We love as a family to be outside. And so I didn't want to take that from her uh, at this young of an age. That was one of my main factors, but also for me, I figured because I, I have the degree that I do and not actually just because I have that degree, but because I enjoy teaching more. So I'm like, I'm just going to give this a try. So what did that look like for you? What motivated you? And again, that's going to look different for every single family, but what started you into this process of unschooling? Did your kids go to school to begin with? No. So I, we've always homeschooled. I was, um, also a public school teacher. I taught, um, kindergarten was where I began my work. And then, um, the, and you know, that was fun. I mean, there was the sadness of kids being there too little, whatever, but in general, they were happy. They were creative. They were silly. They were bubbly. You get it. Everything was magical. Everything was cure, you know, curiosity and they had good ideas and they wanted to participate. And then after teaching kindergarten for a few years, my school district did some like shifting around and redistricting and saving money. And I got shifted to a fifth grade classroom. So I went from K to five and I went in with the same excitement and joy but it was gone. The kids by fifth grade, they didn't want to read. They didn't want to write. They didn't want to be there. They hated school. They hated me. They hated each other. They were, the light was out. It was gone. And it broke my heart. I was like, what have we done in five years? We've killed it. It's gone. What have we done? And that was the norm. That's just what everybody just accepted. And I just couldn't. So I taught fifth grade for a few years and then I got pregnant with my oldest. This was, um, he just turned 11 this week. So um, 12 years ago, I just, I knew that I was not going, something was wrong and I didn't know how to fix it, but I wasn't going to put my kids in it. I knew that much. So when he was born, I left the classroom and we just kind of did life together. And then when he was like three or four, I started having some of those like typical parent teacher fears of like, okay, well now it's my responsibility to do these things, right? He needs to read. He needs to write. He needs to do math and all of these things that I thought were so important. And I started looking around for like curriculum. I knew I wanted to homeschool, but everything I found looked exactly like what I was doing in a classroom. And so like something in me was like, well, this this has to be part of the problem here is this one size fits all. Everybody learns the same way. I also did a lot of, um, one of my master's degrees was in like, uh, as a reading specialist. So I did a lot of work around like how children learn things. And I knew that that what we were teaching them and the sequence we were teaching it in was not related to how they learn. We knew that was wrong. So I couldn't find anything. And I, so I wrote my own. Um, and that's basically whatever I did with him. And it started in nature. That was the, my, eventually the pre-K and kindergarten curriculum all came from nature. So I just started writing down whatever I was doing with him. And it started as like curriculum where I'd plan some ideas and activities, but the more time I spent talking to other parents, working with him, learning, doing research, the more I realized that the more children have the opportunity to guide their own learning, the more meaningful it is. And the more they learn in the end anyway. So that's kind of brought me to where I am today. And remind me, how many kids do you have? I have three. Okay, three. What are their ages? Uh, My oldest just turned 11. My middle is eight. And then we have the extra surprise baby who will be (laughs) two in October. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) what does it look like in your day-to-day unschooling with kids of different ages? Because I feel like at some point, 
if and when we continue this on, Benji's two, Martin's almost five, Charlotte's almost eight. So I figure Charlotte's going to kind of take control of some of the more bookish work that I do want her to do. But what does that look like for you? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of traveling um, since I own my own business and work from home and my husband owns his business. A lot of our learning happens on the road. So we have an RV, we go out, we go out at least once a month um, or fly somewhere pretty frequently. So that's a big portion of our learning is, you know, hands-on right there. Um, but in the day-to-day, we just live together. And if the, you know, the kids have projects that they're always working on, it might be creative. Um, they love to watch YouTube and learn things from that. They like to game and have friends all over the world that they've met in our travels. They connect with them there. You know, we spend a lot of time outside. We live um, in town so we can walk to different places. It's just, we just live life together. That's the best way that I can explain it. There's rarely, and when there is like a true tangible teaching moment, it's not because I said, hey, sit down, I wanna teach you this thing. It was something that stemmed from a question. They had a question about something. So we learned it together or I, you know, we showed them the answer um, just last, and it it comes at the most random times. Um, Like last night at like 11 o'clock, my oldest, (laughs) he's, he, uh, we've been watching stranger things together and he, I forget what the scene was, but he, the word, the patriarchy, someone talked about the patriarchy and he paused it and he was like, what is patriarchy? I've heard that word before. And it just, we spent half an hour <laughs> having a big conversation about what the patriarchy is and, you know, what that means in our, in our family and for him and in history. Um, but that was a real tangible moment that we didn't have to see in a textbook or wait for that to show up as a vocabulary word. And now it's, it's there because he had the genuine question and we got to converse about it and that knowledge is solidified now. So it's, it just looks like living together. Hey parents of young babies, is there a child with food allergies in your family? Does your child have a friend or a classmate with food allergies or do you know of someone close to you that has food allergies? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then you know how scary, limiting, and anxiety-inducing it can be to have to carry an EpiPen with you at all times or constantly just be on high alert when dining out, reading food labels, sending your kids to school, all of the things. Imagine a world without food allergies where all foods are considered safe to eat for anyone, where there aren't nut-free schools or separate allergy-free tables at lunch. That's what we call food freedom. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree. Feeding small amounts of common food allergens like peanut, eggs, and milk daily for six months or more, starting at four months, is important for all babies to give them the best chance at a future of food freedom. That's why I'm happy to tell you about Ready Set Food. Ready Set Food was developed by an allergist and mom of two to make it easy, safe, and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens starting right from the bottle. Ready Set Food is a gentle, guided system of products that takes the mess and stress out of introducing allergens. Head over to readysetfood.com minimalist and use code minimalist for 30% off your first order of Ready Set Food and get your child started on the path to food freedom today. My husband's thing was, I don't want to bubble our children. I don't want to keep them from things that you don't want them to hear or you don't want them to witness. Especially when I was starting homeschooling, I, I felt very protective at that time. And so 
now having a year under our belt and making the different friends that we have, I'm like, we have different political viewpoints, religious viewpoints, yet it's so crazy because we have this common bond, me and these women, that we want what's best for our kids and we are in each other's court and we can help with discipline issues if if you are so willing to do so. I don't know. I just feel like there's something very special about having multiple women not a ton of women, but people that you trust and you've helped cultivate that do have different perspectives than you do help come alongside your children. I just really like that. And I do think that's a part of unschooling. Yeah. Maybe it's more structured with the things that we're doing together, but you're Mm -hmm. not going to get that in a public school setting. And that's been one of the best benefits to me. And it's really opened my eyes this past year and actually Mm -hmm. helped me to be a lot more understanding of people that have different perspectives than I do. Definitely. And that's how we change the future. Right. Cause then we're yeah. not, so, that's not, we're not so polarized, but that's, you brought up a really big de-schooling point too, of this idea or this myth that homeschoolers are like in this bubble, they're antisocial, they're weird and nerdy and they can't interact with society. But if you take off all the blinders, when else in your life, are you in a room <laughs> with 30 other people, exactly your own age, you know, that's it. You're not interacting with other age groups, even it's, and it's all people that live in, you know, one in the neighborhood. So you're in, that's a bubble. You're in the same neighborhood. You're in exactly the same age group and socialization in school is it's non-existent and it's not representative of real life. Mm -hmm. I, you know, these are conversations. All you have to do is go to any of the page, uh, any of the posts on my pages about socialization and just read the comments. I mean, my kids were, they're not allowed to talk at lunch. The lunch ladies walk around and tell them to be silent. If they're done eating, they have to put their heads down on the desk. Um, You know, especially in elementary school, they get overwhelmed. There's too many kids. So they just tell them all to be quiet. They're Mm -hmm. lucky if they get recessed to begin with, if they do, it's 15 minutes, you know, and it's still with that same peer group. So nothing about the socialization that's happening in a classroom or in a school is representative of real life. Homeschooling kids getting to go out and hang out, you know, I'm sure even in the co-op that you have or the little group that you have, the kids are all varying ages. Oh yeah. So, you know, they're getting to interact with babies. They're getting to interact with teenagers, different parents of different viewpoints, you know, political or otherwise. Um, They're talking to cashiers. They're talking to the mailman. They're interacting in real life ways. Um, And that's, that's socialization. That's real. So while it might look different, it's certainly not the thing that's abnormal, really, if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Which we're kind of coming to the end of what I wanted to talk about, but I don't feel like we ever defined, does unschooling have a definition? We never defined it, did we? Um, No. And I mean, there's a lot of them out there, really. I think it's just really what it means to you, but it's in general, I think the accepted definition is, um, doing the opposite of what would happen in a classroom, like rejecting the idea that education is a one size fits all, um, way of learning and doing it your own way, living, living your life. But that's, that's where learning happens. Definitely. I guess in regards to minimalism, I feel like unschooling, I don't know, I, maybe this is offensive, but I feel like unschooling is a way to be extremely intentional, but what would you say? I mean, do you consider yourself a minimalist? What does simplicity, intentionality, minimalism look like in your life and in your unschooling journey? I don't, mm, that's a good question. I don't think, I guess I would, I don't practice minimalism as something that I like, it's not intentional for me. Um, I would prefer to spend my money and my time 
adventuring and traveling rather than just buying things that are, I don't need. I am frequently going through my house and getting rid of things that somehow make their way here from grandparents or aunts and uncles or friends. Um, so I guess in practice, yes. Um, but I would say from what I see other homeschooling parents feel is necessary, unschooling is definitely in the track of the minimalist mindset because most like I'm getting ready to walk through Target, actually all of the back to school stuff is up and I'm going to do a series of walking through and like showing you, this is a thing that you don't need. This is a thing that you don't need because it's just, we make parents believe that there's so much stuff that's necessary to effectively teach their kids. And 99% of it is, is not, is you just don't need it. So I think that in a, you know, in an unintentional way, minimalism and unschooling go very hand in hand. I want to know what encouragement you'd have to people that are listening, because I'm assuming that the majority of people that listen to this will be people already interested in homeschooling and or do homeschool. But I'm hoping that there are some people listening that they don't think they can do it. They maybe never had an interest in doing it, but I want you to sell them. (laughs) Um, And again, it's not. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I think that everyone can do it financial resources probably prevent some families, some moms from doing it. And I totally understand that. And I have empathy, especially for women that want to homeschool their kids and they can't financially make it happen because they have to work or whatnot, fill in the blank. But women are capable, regardless of your degree, regardless of if you think you're smart enough, if you think you have the best vocabulary, there's some things that I don't fully understand in first grade that I am having to go back with Charlotte in English and I am an English major and I'm like, Oh, I don't remember this rule. So I just want to encourage people that anyone can do it. So what is your encouragement to them? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, having, not having the degree actually, I would say puts you farther ahead (laughs) because it's just more undoing that you have to do then, you know, and you're finding that and everybody, I talked to so many teachers turned homeschool moms, um, that it's so much more work to undo. Um, and, you know, I think, Three years ago, I would have been trying to hard sell, but the pandemic did a great job (laughs) at hard selling for me, um, to be honest, because all of a sudden, all of the kids were at home and parents had to readjust and figure it out. And a lot of things happened. Parents realized that they can be with their kids all day, that that's okay. It's not a bad thing. You know, there was so many, like, I can't wait for summer break to be over. So my kids go back to school memes and vibes. And I always hated that, but you don't see that so much anymore. We're real re uh, learning, I guess what it feels like to be together all the time. And it's not a bad thing. And also I think with virtual school, especially, or with like packets that were sent home, parents suddenly had a window into what school was really like, what was actually happening in a lot of their kids' classrooms. And I think it was very eye-opening. And I like, I think it just, homeschooling almost became like a rescue mission for a lot of kids because parents realized this is, whoa, this is not what I want for my kids. So I have to make it work. I have to figure it out. So absolutely you're capable. Um, you know, having the degree is these days is not, it's, it doesn't even matter because we're, as you know, as a teacher, you're bound by whatever the district tells you to do by the curriculum that they hand you. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. That's, that's what you're doing. And 90% of the job is behavior management anyway, because there's 35 kids in one room, if you're lucky and no other adults, but you, um, so 
I could go off on all kinds of tangents, but for encouragement, I think, you know, just every time you have that fear, and this is true for whether you're thinking about homeschooling or already homeschooling or full unschooling anytime, because the older, as your kids get older, new fears are going to pop up, right? Social media is a fear for me now, as I have like a preteen, you know, he wants to engage with his friends on social media. So that's a new fear that I have to like address. There's always going to be something new. I'm not scared that he can't read anymore because he's reading just fine. Now I'm scared about social media. There's always going to be a fear. And so anytime you have that, stop and ask yourself, is this fear for my child because I've seen something that scares me? Or is this a fear that I have? What's it rooted in? And that de-schooling work is so important because it will really help you strip back down where that belief comes from, why you believe it, and if it's really true. So um, there's lots of just, you know, on my Instagram, especially I shared tons and tons of stuff that's very helpful with that, very simple things to think about and consider. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's the de-schooling is the biggest part. Truly it is. I think that unschooling is the result of de-schooling. I don't think it's so much of an intentional choice so much as it's like once your eyes keep opening to things, it's, it's the only logical answer. So it's like the result of having done all that work. Definitely. It might be helpful for people listening to define what success looks like for, I, I wouldn't even say for them, but if you want your child to be successful, what does that mean for them? Because I think that a lot of us, if we were honest, it has very little to do with I know this historical event that happened and the dates, or I know this romantic literature. Um, I'm thinking back to my days in romantic English in college, but why do I necessarily need to know that? If I have an interest in that, sure. But is that what defines my success? So I think if you start journaling and processing some of those things and writing those things down, you'll get clear with what you want going forward for your family. And so I think that that would be a good place to start as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you even said earlier, you're having like with your first grader things that you don't remember. Mm -hmm. So did you ever use it? Like if you, yeah. you know, if you're in your thirties and you don't remember how to do that thing because you haven't touched it in 25 years, sure. was, was it really important? Did it really matter to your life? Um, you know, there's, and again, just once you start opening your eyes, it's, it all makes a lot of sense. You know, there's, um, a TED talk I watched not too long ago from a mathematician and, and a math teacher who said 98% of people don't use math beyond what they learned in fifth grade. And yet we, we keep pushing. Everybody needs algebra. Everybody needs trig. Everybody needs calculus. Everybody needs all of this. And they're never going to use it. Statistically, no one is going to use it. So, you know, it's just, we just don't question it. We just, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, defining, you know, what you want your children, what matters to you, mm -hmm. uh, for your children's existence and adulthood, especially in this tech heavy changing world. Mm -hmm. um, it's really important to think about. Absolutely. Well, Leah, where can people find you if they want to connect with you online or hear more from you? Yeah. Your natural learners where you can find me everywhere. Um, Instagram is where I spend the most of my time these days. So that's probably best. Um, but your natural learner.com or, um, we just recently opened bridge Academy, which is, um, a private school for homeschoolers. So you can look that up too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today about unschooling. I really hope that this has encouraged people. That was my main goal with our chat today. So I really thank you for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the episode? I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. 
Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.